Hello everyone, this is Gilbert Jalad. I'm talking to you here from uh, Private Corporate Council downtown. This is Tufts on Tax, where all your tax issues and questions and uh, concerns will be answered right here with Mr. T. Scott Tufts. He, when it comes to taxes, he is the master and the expert uh, to help you out in all your legal tax legal needs, uh, rather. So, hello Tufts. Uh, T. Scott Tufts, how are you today? <laughs> Good to be with you. Good to be with you too. So today we are talking about 8979, that form. Why are we mentioning it and why is it important? The idea for this form, 8979, is who is in charge of an audit of a of the partnership, the LLC, the entity that is taxed as a partnership under the tax laws. Uh-huh. We have talked about how uh, the operating agreement and the LLC itself and how you're operating that within the body of that agreement there is a need to designate a partnership representative that used to be what we called a tax matters partner so if you look at your operating agreement and it says tax matters partner or tax matters member or something like that you will you should zero in on that and know that that needs to get changed because the new terminology with the new law that's been in effect since 2018 calls that person a partnership representative in the old days you had to be a partner you had to be a member or partner to serve in that role now you do not now you can be a a individual or an entity that does not have to be a partner However, if you are named this, where are your rules? Where are your governing standards, right? Well, you'd look in the operating agreement. And does the operating agreement outline how, what your job is, your rules, your, essentially your rules of the road, if there's an audit? Because again, this is a specific job title that may not match with being a manager of an LLC or or being the executive officer or being a president or whatever. This is a separate job that has fiduciary-like role because this is the person and the only person the IRS will go through when auditing a partnership or LLC that is of this kind. So this form is essentially the designation paper or who who you position to serve in that role and it's the mechanism by which you can resign it's the mechanism by which your powers can be revoked it's the it's the form that you use to designate so you need to know on a year by year basis who's going to be in charge if that year gets audited and there's a whole lot of other rules about it where if you're in the current year and you are the partnership representative you're going to be in charge of the adjustments they make and and believe it or not uh, gilbert even though these are entities that are passed through entities that you don't think of paying tax and they pass it all through to their owners if there's an audit and an adjustment there is a default rule that says that the entity can become the tax collector okay so at the end of the day this is serious stuff so this form is crucial because it allows someone to um, come forward and say, I need to be this person 
the other person has moved away or has is no longer associated this is the document you'll use to update the tax return records if you look at the form 1065 there is a place for the partnership representative uh, to go on that year's return what happens if you want to change it after you file the return you would use this form 8979 to do it so it's a critical form it is one that is going to be used quite frequently going forward and as we get into these issues uh, it is important that the operating agreements be looked at and define who the person will be uh, what the you know who's in charge of that person essentially meaning that who do they answer to and how are you going to address uh, the K-1s, the financial information that comes out, will that partnership representative have expanded authority or narrow authority under the terms of the operating agreement? In other words, are they going to be the tax person? Are they going to have, you know, interactions with the CPA? Or are they going to be just limited to if there's an audit, which you hope never happens, so therefore you don't have a, you don't have a job to do, right? So it's a, you know, so the, the key there is step one, look at the operating agreement step two make sure it's defining what those duties are step three make sure it's the person you want to do it step four reminder it doesn't have to be a member or partner therefore it can be an individual that is not an owner and that allows you some opportunity to designate someone in that role or an entity in that role that is um, your preference to serve in that capacity now i have a question I don't know if it's a dumb question, but um, of course they all uh, all business owners. Uh, if they have, do they need to educate themselves on these forms? Even though they have an attorney, they have a CPA, they have an accountant. They have. Um, do they need to educate themselves to be aware of these all these different forms that we talk about, right. including the eighty nine seventy nine? So. Yeah, so that's a tough question because there's a form that probably defines all the forms. In other words, there's literally tons of forms that you can go to the irs.gov site and pull these forms, nearly all of which are there. There's some that they, they keep private that are internal or are more IRS-based. But by and large, the general public has access to all these forms each year. And so the question there becomes there are forms that – there are a, a number of forms that uh, go into, uh, let's say, an LLC operating as a partnership. There'll be a number of forms that, that are looked at uh, and used. I don't think it's realistic for our, our um, audience to think that they need to master what numbers are other than the big ones that we've talked about, like a 1099 NEC or a, a, a Form 8082, a Schedule K-1, a 1099 these are forms that we, we want them to kind of know that are tax driven but are very important um, but as to these other forms that are collateral to it really what they need to know is uh, who is the partnership representative and uh, has that been addressed in the operating agreement you know that's what we kind of look for and so um, it's very important that we have that kind of uh, role defined in the operating agreement and it being addressed and so you know to answer the question uh, more specifically this form 8979 or any form k1 
can be found on the irs.gov site. Uh, so I don't worry too much that the audience doesn't know it. However, it's it's obvious that if you're in the Internet and you're searching for information about a form, and as we've talked about it, these forms lend themselves to litigation, then this is what we are trying to do to get the word out. What forms tend to lead to litigation or tend to be problems or come up in these circumstances? And as we get more and more into this, we're going to want to know how they operate in reality. So this form is very important, but what you you can do with an accountant is say, I need to make sure that I'm the partnership representative or that we change the partnership representative. You'd like to think the accountant will say, um, yes, we've got to file the, the form 8979 and then provide that to you and you fill it out or sign and, or whatnot. So it's really a process where uh, this is a means to achieving very important steps, you know. But at the same time, um, I've seen far too many operating agreements that have things in them that people don't even look at. So I, would, I, th I do think our audience ought to, when you, when you get an operating agreement, if there's any part of it that you don't understand why it is or it just looks like a bunch of words, you may want to ask, why do I have this in here? And hopefully the person doing the operating agreement will say, that's in there because, right? And then that will explain to you why you have it. Otherwise, it's kind of like you get a car and you got all the bells and whistles and you, they say, well, what does this do? And it says this and you say, I don't want that, assuming you can even take it off. But, the, I, you know, this idea that when you're, when you're looking at your operating agreements and you're looking at agreements, it should always be your MO to ask, what does this provision do? Why is it in there? And hopefully the lawyer that you're working with can address those questions as well. So, um we want our audience engaged. We don't want our, we've talked about this. We don't want our audience sitting back. They need to know about this concept of a partnership representative. And this is the form that if you're searching for it out there, um, we'll do it. But for our audience, the tagline, we'll make sure we get the word partnership representative in the tagline of this particular topic on the, on this podcast and future episodes will be sure to come back around on it because again, the partnership representative in these LLC entities and partnerships is going to be the one who will be the only party the IRS will look to deal with with regard to an audit of the entity. Okay? So the key words you are saying, operating agreements. And right. we, you always mention that. You mm -hmm. always repeat that in all our episodes yes. and, and anything related to the forms. Right. So it's very important for them to make sure everything on that operating agreement is what right. they, they are familiar and, with. And, it's, and it's again, we, we've talked about this. You'd be shocked at how many people do not have an operating agreement which means they do not have a written document wow. that explains to its members what the rules of the road are. Wow. So in the event of death, disability, dissolution, um, you know, withdrawal, what to, what to do. Uh, you know, can you kick someone out? All of these provisions are in this operating agreement that you should be thinking through mm -hmm. under a number of different hypotheticals to know how you want the entity to roll forward. Mm -hmm. So if you don't have that, then you're going to be bound by explanations in the law that you don't know. So you Correct. want an operating agreement to walk through not just that it, who the partnership representative is, mm -hmm. but how are you going to be structured? Remember, we've also talked about how 
LLC operating agreements can be need to be drafted sensitive to their tax treatment. An LLC can be treated as an S corp, or it can be an, a partnership, or it could be a disregarded entity. All three of which, or even a corporation, if that's possibly there, how do you know what you are tax wise? Well, your operating agreement should, you know, specify the desired tax status and then walk it through. Okay, and so that's all part of it too. So I think that's a good point, Gilbert. That you want the operating agreement to cover these kinds of issues and uh, it requires folks to pull them out look at them and make sure they say what you want them to say and that they're addressing the issues that you need addressed including partnership representatives uh, under the under the uh, BBA which is the bipartisan budget act of uh, 2015 it keeps them on top of it and also to be aware of what's going on yeah so they are not surprised well if you think about it if I'm a partnership rep Mm-hmm. Uh, for purposes of fulfilling this role, um, I'm, my first order of business will be, uh, can I see the operating agreement to define mm-hmm. my role? Yeah. And if you see one sentence in there that says you are the partnership representative and it doesn't give you any guidance and mm-hmm. then it gets audited, now what are you going to do? Wow. Yeah. How do you make decisions? Right? Exactly. You go to the full board. Do you go, you know, do you go through all the membership, or can the manager or the executive of the LLC tell you what to do? And if that affects all the partners, how does that, or members, you know, how does that go down? So these are issues that's going to come up by the mechanisms of our tax system. So you you need to need to address it. And again, every situation is different. Yep. Every business is different. It's not a cookie cutter. Exactly. So your operating agreement should be unique to your particular circumstances and your particular members and and management style. It should reflect the way you want to operate and it can and it needs to be revisited or amended or or restated when it needs to go with the time, something that's changed or affected. Anything else we want to highlight on this form? No, I think it's just that the form is while it's a couple pages, it's it's. pretty straightforward form part one is the reason for filing part two is revocations and resignations uh the part uh three gets into designations of appointment and then the part four details signatures so what they're what the irs will look for is how is this information and and make sure that you're agreeing to it with your signature and tax id number and all that other good stuff so um IRS tends to think through these forms and how they use them, and then when they get scanned in or utilized in a way that uh, picks up on the system, then if an audit occurs, they're going to automatically have that in their system. That's who they're going to contact. And the worst thing you can do is if you're not on top of this, you don't want an address that's not good or the person in the role that's not who you want, that kind of thing. All right, you heard him, folks. You can call Mr. T. Scott Tufts at uh, 877-647-7887. Again, that number is 877-647-7887. Same thing when you use the area code 407. You can email him at stufts at at pcc.law. Excuse me. It's s-t-u-f-t-s at pcc.law. And you can visit the website at privatecorporatecouncil.com. Until next time, thank you and have a wonderful day.